it ain't dying. I thought you said if we destroyed the brain, it'd die. It worked in the movie! Well, it ain't working now, Frank. You mean the movie line? fucked up missed a week didn't say anything about it <laughs> we haven't said a lot about a lot of things that is true kind of been on uh i don't know I, I i feel like i went into sort of hibernation mode when we had that cold snap oh god and i, I haven't really come out of too, it yeah even though it's been a minute yeah it has been so i haven't posted on instagram in like a month i really need to play catch up with that yeah. this week yeah. plus um We've been working on something that we can't really talk about yet, but doing some video work that may or may not see fruition. So mm -hmm. that uh, kind of took our priority last week. So we consciously decided to forego an episode, but we were so busy that we completely forgot to actually post about it. Whoops. So whoops indeed. Oh, well, we're here, we're back, and it's time for some more horror movie goodness. Also, happy Women in Horror Month. Yeah, Women in Horror Month. As you can tell with us being kind of scatterbrained lately, we did not plan for a Women in Horror Month or a Black History Month episode to kick this off, but uh, next week we got a little something to sort of get into Women in Horror Month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, last year we were super like prepared. We had like the whole month figured out, and this year it's like, oh, it's February already. Whoops. <laughs> Oopsie-daisy. <laughs> oh, well. Nevertheless, I think we got a fun one this week. I definitely enjoyed the movies we watched. Me too. Yeah, so, the silver screen, movie theaters, the whole film-going experience. Uh, for someone who is such a film fan, wants to work in the film industry, and does a podcast where we talk about film and all that stuff, I really don't dig going to the theater that much these days. Yeah, I don't know. Is that something that you kind of grow out of? I don't know. Um... Because it's funny, when there's some screenings we can do at, like, when we've gone to the Metro Cinema, this sort of, like, more art house community theater thing, uh, I've always had a blast there. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's, it's a nice theater, and I love the kind of stuff they show. With the cold snap, I definitely slept on a few things I wanted to go see, because yeah. it was like, I don't want to go out in minus 45 to see this when I can mm -hmm. do home video in, like, a month. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, we barely ever go to the theaters these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. we make it out to see a new movie, like a new release, once or twice a year, probably. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then on top of that, we'll either go to the, met usually the Metro, either for a screening of a movie that we've seen and absolutely love. Like last year, we saw Miss 45 there. That was uh, great. We year. saw Evil Dead. Yeah, we yeah. saw Evil Dead there last year. A couple years ago, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre there. Yeah. So that or... Every once in a while, a new release that gets a really limited kind of release. Yeah. Like, that's where I saw, um, like, my sister and I went to see Call Me By Your Name. Right, right, um, right. Is that what We saw 20,000 Days on Earth. Yeah, I was going to say, that's where we went and saw 20,000 Days on Earth. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so th that's always cool. Mm -hmm. um, but there's an allure to, to the whole theater experience. Like, it's one of those things where I think about 
making movies and stuff like that where it's, uh, you know, it's like, I would love to be able to have this up on the big screen mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, I, I will say all this, like, sort of uh, indecision about movie-going practices, especially in the age of, you know, like, really nice home tech mm-hmm. for watching movies. Um, some of the most fun I had was going to that uh, Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. Of course. Last year. Like, that was just three days of film theater, uh, like, theater-going experience, and it was a lot of fun. Undoubtedly so. Uh, especially seeing something that we made up on the big screen. So I, I so cool. get the allure. I definitely mm-hmm. get the allure of it, and uh, as such, I we kind of thought it'd be cool to look at some horror movies that take place at movie theaters. Or it's sort of like a central part of the plot. Mm-hmm. See if it gets super meta, or if it's just just is what it is. Yeah, for some of them it was just a setting. Mm-hmm. Some of them it was maybe a bit of a social commentary, and for other ones it it was like a meta narrative on horror cinema. So mm-hmm. we kind of ran the gamut this week. Absolutely. First off, we had something that just felt like we have access to a drive-in, so let's make a horror movie there. And it was 1976's exploitation of, like, Drive-In Massacre. I don't know. I like this movie. It's fun, but it's so cheap in so many ways. Um, and it's so disjointed. Yep. Yeah, this one, uh, we're a little bit fuzzy on it. It's been a couple weeks since we watched it. And I think we watched this just coming out of the cold snap. And uh, over the cold snap, I watched a ton of movies, so they kind of bleed yeah. together. But uh, I'll give it a go, because I have seen this a few times. You've only seen it the once. Mm-hmm. We have a drive-in, and the people that are going there are being picked off one by one by a maniac with a sword. Sometimes two by two, because it's couples. That's true, that's true. Um, oftentimes what happens is it's a couple, and then one of the, the couple goes like, I've got to get a root beer. I'm going to go to the washroom. I'm, I'm going to interrupt whatever. our coitus to go yeah. and take a leak or get some root beer. And then they have some real coitus interrupt us when the sword wheeling <laughs> maniac just comes and chops heads off and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's pretty funny. Um, I love the pervert in this. There's this <laughs> dude with like a fucking Gilligan Islands hat and he's just walking around. And I don't mean branded Gilligan Islands, but he looks like the skipper from Gilligan Island. And he's just perving on people in the most... Like, at first, he's looking over his steering wheel of his parked car and watching people make it, make out, or I guess it's the 70 movies, watching people make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, there's one scene where these two people are going at it in the car, and the camera sort of, like, pans to the window right next to them, and he just raises up into frame, and he's just like, hey, guys. It's just, like his nose is practically touching the window. And then he goes back down again, and then he comes back up. Like, it's so comical. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... And, of course, he becomes a suspect in the murders because he's the... Uh, he's the there when that happens. He's there at the drive-in pretty much every night, perving on people. Often people who get murdered within minutes yeah. of him whacking off. Yep. So cops show up, and they are investigating the murders. So this is partly slasher movie, part police procedural kind of thing. But the slashings are... The, the tension is very interesting in this movie, and that's putting it nicely, because we just see people making it, and then the person gets stabbed. Like, there isn't much build-up, as you would see in, like, the couple years prior with Black Christmas, or right. following couple years, you'd get Halloween, which really built up the slasher mm-hmm. um, sort of model for Especially mainstream cinema. A little cinema. bit of character development, a little yeah. bit of stakes. 
Yeah, so we see people making out, and it's like, I'm gonna go away, and then they come back, and the guy's head's off, and it's like, and it's like, that's cool for, like, a cold open kind of murder, but that's every murder kind of thing. Um, So, as a slasher movie, it doesn't really quite provide the tension, but Mm -hmm. it does provide the gore, so you do get that, (laughs) you get the splatter that you want with a cheap exploitation movie. This is true. And the police officers are so bad at their jobs (laughs) in this one. But not quite in the same way that, say, in Don't Answer the Phone, where you can actually get a lot of fun out of how shitty the cops are. It's just they're just kind of bumbling, but we're supposed to follow along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Like, I get the impression they're not supposed to be as bumbling as they are. <laughs> Probably. I do love the part where the theater owner is taken into custody, and the the his assistant guy, who's now being the cop's assistant... Uh, just shows up with some sandwiches. He's like, here you go, ham sandwich. And the theater owner's just like, careful, you might be eating your brother. (laughs) (laughs) I love all of the the red herrings because as you mentioned, the murderer is using a sword. Mm -hmm. So we have, we are introduced to like three separate characters that could have connections to swords. You have the like, the owner, the financer of the of the theater itself. He's like off traveling in Hawaii or something. He has a sword collection that he yeah. always carries with him. He always takes it with him. Yeah. Apparently you have the former, um, freak show geek who he's a sword swallower. Yep. So swords again. And then the guy who runs the theater also worked at the carnival and had yeah. access to swords. Yeah. And, and yeah. So it's just like We're such different. an unlikely weapon, but we have three different guys who could very believably All be really into swords. Drive-in. It's yeah. like, is that a common thing from the 70s for Southern California? <laughs> were, were, were the weebs out in full force? Was swordplay like a big thing? <laughs> Must have been. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, I like that they stuck to their guns there. Where it's yes. like, we're going to have a unique murder weapon. Let's just dive right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the cops pin down the pervert partway into the movie and go to his place to question him. It does, like, one of my favorite sort of tropes to say, like, this guy's icky, but he's also your good red-blooded heterosexual (laughs) kind of thing, in that the pervert's house is just plastered with porn all over the walls. Just, like, he got a porn magazine and dissected it, and that's how he wallpapered his house. Yeah. And uh, I love how it's not just, like, relegated to the sort of, like, Oh, the mechanic in the garage. Of course he has this above his cot in the corner because you want to show how unseemly he is and all that. Or fucking, was it Sling Blade where the guy's, like, car is wallpeppered with porn on the inside? (laughs) Um, No, this one they actually have a dialogue about it. And the cops are just like, yeah, I love this stuff. We always look at it down at the station. He's like, yeah, it's great. You want to look at my collection? (laughs) And it's just like they have this little nerd out moment for their porn collections. And it's just, it felt like a way to eat up running time. Yeah. Yeah. And the movie, like, kept trying to make it, like, this pervert is clearly quite possibly the killer by having him, like, run from the cops, having mm-hmm. them find bloody clothes in his car, and he's like, it's from a chicken. <laughs> that was this one, right, where he's like, it's from a chicken or yeah, something like sure. that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. No, no, he hit a dog. That was it. He hit a vet. Yeah, Yes, yeah. that's right. No, I'm thinking of Zodiac, where the guy's, like, got the bloody knives, and he's like, I butchered a chicken for lunch. <laughs> Um, yeah, but th- I think this is also the one where he's like, okay, guys, pretend, uh, I don't want the neighbors to think anything, so pretend you're interested in buying my car, and he's doing that really conspicuous, like, they take it, they're gonna be like, oh, yeah, you should see the ins- the motor on this thing's a real beauty, and he's, like, yelling it out to them, like, looking around to make sure like, if anyone's watching. neighbors out there, just like, hey, buddies, it's been a long time, it's so good to see you, check out my beauty of a car, I'm so glad friend. you are interested in purchasing my car. <laughs> Come and um, peruse it. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a movie that like. It's interesting how it's constructed, yes. and no more so than when the police investigation is completely stalled out, and then it's like, oh, by the way, we found the maniac, he's in a warehouse, he just butchered a bunch of people with a machete. And he's kidnapped a child. And it's just like... Some random little girl we've never seen before. Yeah, it's like, oh, you hit 50 minutes of the running time, and you decided now, let's just wrap this up. And so they go for it, and the movie takes complete divergence to this, like, warehouse The subplot that scene. just emerged out of nowhere. And it disappears just as quietly as it emerged. Yes. In some of the best fucking dialogue <laughs> ever. Oh, that child is just hilarious. Oh my god. Um, and so it turns out this is kind of a red herring. It's just like... Yeah. Okay, let's... So it's like, we don't know how to wrap up this investigation, so let's just go here. Oh, wait, we figured out a way to wrap up the investigation. All right, red herring, red herring. Yeah. And then they're just like, wait a second... It could be that guy because of this simple thing that anyone could have figured out from the first minute if they asked the right questions during the initial interrogation. And then, of course, the movie does the plot twist where it's like, oh, psych, it's someone else kind mm-hmm. of thing, which, you know, was all fine and dandy. But I loved the sort of uh, ever so slightly edging on the William Castle kind of theater theatrics mm-hmm. thing where it like freeze frames and then it's like they have a voiceover as if it's the theater manager where we are ostensibly watching yeah. this movie and he's just like attention there is a killer in the theater <laughs> <laughs> remain calm yeah so this one is um put out by seven films and given a lot more love than you'd expect for like i'm pretty sure i have this on a couple of those like cult film movie packs mm. like it might be in the same movie pack that has uh, silent night bloody night that we watched a while I was, ago i had a feeling you were gonna say that <laughs> yeah but uh seven films gave it a lot of love and attention and nice. i don't mean to completely slag on it because i do enjoy this movie it's fun well but, yeah if you've seen it multiple times it yeah, tells me that like it's exploitation fun yes you know it's it's kind of cheap fun it doesn't really do much with the theater thing other than getting in on the horror movie craze actually getting in on the slasher craze early of let's take the template and let's set it somewhere that's true like you know we get the later summer camp movies with Mm -hmm. friday the 13th or they would do this around certain holidays like here's my bloody valentine here's april fool's day here's Halloween. silent night bloody night yeah and so it kind of preempts a lot of those or it's coming at the start of that um, so it fits in nicely with that sort of, uh, mode of let's transplant the slasher into a new unique setting, but that's what the extent movies play in this. Like, I don't even know if we really see the movies being played. Like we hear some dialogue mm-hmm. and I do love that makeout scene where the guy is just like, come on, baby. we know why we came here. She's like, shut up. I want to see the movie. I've seen it nine times. It's my so favorite I movie. Watch the goddamn movie. Yeah. And she just gets so pissed off at him, where it's like the, he's like necking with her, and yeah. she's just like he's being gross about it. Don't yeah. get me wrong here, but she's uh, looking at the screen, and then it's just like this is the best part. You're missing it. No, you're gonna miss it. Listen, listen to the dialogue. It's so good. Hey, 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 you're missing the dialogue. It's so good. And I feel like, oh, that would be relatable if I ever was in this scenario, like taking a date to a movie just to like make out. I'd be like, shut up. Yeah, yeah, I want to see it. Get out of my face. Yeah. Yes. Go do your business in the bathroom. I'm watching the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did you think of this one? Um, I th- yeah, I think with it being this sort of, like, cheap trash fun, what, um, kind of going in with... I don't know if I went with that expectation, but if you go in with that expectation, I think you're more likely to enjoy it. Like, Yeah. I, um... Mostly I found it funny. Yeah. It's... 
I think that this one, maybe if you took it super seriously, like deadly serious. You'd be super disappointed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. because it doesn't quite work. No, but if you can look at it with that sort of sense of humor, then yeah, you get some really weird dialogue yeah. and some really like just weird characters. Yeah. And it's just so, it's just kind of uncanny, just yeah. kind of off in a way that you can just laugh at and be like, oh, this is fun. And, and I don't think it even needs to necessarily be in a so bad, it's a good kind of way yeah. so much as a like the joy to be had from these kinds of exploitation mm-hmm. movies where it's just like they're clunky they're weirdly constructed but if you can kind of buy into what they're selling yeah. it's it's enjoyable exactly yeah. for sure yeah the next movie was an all-time club banger <laughs> um, i remember the first time i watched it I was so disappointed because I wanted to see the movie within the movie. Mm-hmm. And then I showed it to a friend for some reason, even though I didn't like it. And on second viewing, it's like, how could I possibly hate this movie? Mm-hmm. And you will agree with me when I tell you that movie is The Italian Demons from 1985. <laughs> this movie fucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. This was your second time watching Third. it? Third. Third. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. Wow. I almost said dipping into the triple digits. It's like, that's not how not that works. Not quite. <laughs> Dipped into the triple viewings? Yes, we'll go with that. Yeah. All right, well, you've seen it enough times. Why don't you uh, give us a, a quick little setup for what, we, we, what to expect when you dive into demons? Yes, demons. Well, we are in Berlin. Yeah, I always forget that about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> or if you pay attention to the canon of the game Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2, since the Metropole Theater shows up. Right. Yes, the town of Silent Hill 2. The town of Silent Hill, Germany. So in Demons, there is this guy who's handing out these invitations to a film screening. Not just some guy, that's Michele Suave, who right. would go on to direct Stage Fright, The Church, The Sect, and Cemetery Man, one of my all-time favorites. That's right. He was an assistant director to Dario Argento a lot of the times, and uh, he worked crew, as well as having these bit parts in so many movies by Argento, or in this case, Lumberta Bava. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so these um, students, they decide to check out the film screening, yeah. see what's up. Seems kind of odd, but they're like, sure, what the hell? Nothing better to do. And once the film is screening, there's a whole cast of characters there. Some pretty interesting people yeah it takes a long time for the movie to get started but it's because they're introducing all these characters like we get um the amazing Greta Greta Mm -hmm. who who, uh on this podcast has shown up with uh rats night of rats (laughs) uh we've got fucking Frank the pimp Mm -hmm. who is just a scene stealer kind of guy yeah yeah like what is up with the blind dude and his wife and the wife just like he's sitting there watching the movie but like needing description of course Mm -hmm. because you know visually impaired but it's just like there'll be a noise and he'll just be like what happened and she'll explain it then there'll be another noise what happened and then uh, she fucks off to go make it with some random dude Mm -hmm. and he's just like like, what's going on Liz Liz (laughs) yeah and um so I see why you wanted to see the movie in the movie it's so fun. They're looking for... These Nost- teens are looking for yeah. Nostradamus' grave. Yeah. And they... And they, yeah, they find this weird, like, demon mask thing. Yeah. And um, there's, like, a Latin inscription or whatever mm-hmm. in, in the in the grave. And the guy holds a mask up to his face. And they're like, no, don't do that. Anyone who wears it will become a demon. And he's like, how the hell do you know that? It says here, anyone who wears it will become a demon. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favorite bit of dialogue in the yeah. fucking movie. Um, 
Oh, I love that part. Yeah. But then, as this is happening on screen, shit starts going down off screen well, what in the happened theater. Is there was a metal replica of the mask yes. in the lobby? That's and right. Greta Greta throws it on and cuts her cheek with it. Yeah. Just like in the movie. Uh, <laughs> and so she's like, "Oh, I'm not feeling so good. I'm going to go to the bathroom." And mm-hmm. then uh, the pimp sends one of the other ladies to go in and check on her. And Greta Greta is now a demon. I fucking love the effects for that, too. They oh, do, yeah. like, the sort of, like, exorcist thing of, like, the inflatable bladders under the skin, so it's just bulging bubbles mm-hmm. growing in their skin. But they explode and shoot out, like, neon green slime kind of <laughs> stuff. Like, yeah. it looks like that fucking... Remember when they did that green ketchup? Mm-hmm. It looks like that shit spewing out of their faces. <gasps> I never actually had the green ketchup or the purple ketchup. Yeah, I... I mean, ketchup is just kind of what... Yeah. Anyway. Ketchup is one of those foods that, um... You know how every I think everybody has this where you you learn directly about the sort of um, like evolutionary survival response where if you eat something and then throw up afterwards you develop an aversion to it yeah. because your body that's your, your body your brain is like oh my god this is poison it made me sick so we're not going to want it anymore that's me with ketchup because I had gone to I think God this was back like when we lived in like my family's first house so I would have been somewhere probably between the ages of like five and seven right so we moved right before i turned eight and um we'd gone to costco that night and i had a you know big thing of fries with ketchup Uh-oh. and then i threw up ketchup flavored fries Ooh. all over the carpet in my room i love how didn't ruin fries for you <laughs> yeah fries are fine they're but yeah I, I think it's just because i remember it, it was like it had a red color ready pink color to it and it tastes had that kind of ketchupy taste that oh, i just like can't do you're ketchup. putting me off ketchup like just <laughs> describing it and i'm not even a ketchup yeah fan. or at least the sort of heinz ketchup i mean i haven't really tried much with um like you know more homemade stuff or i think uh, it's very generous of you to describe ketchup as a food <laughs> um well yes i don't know i mean ketchup is a vegetable according to some food plant like some student meal plans in uh in the states at least i'm gonna have a salad and it's just ketchup soup i feel like that dude in luxembourg then uh, yeah I, i've witnessed someone have like a garden salad like you know greens iceberg lettuce all that kind of stuff and then instead of salad dressing use ketchup and mm-hmm. is this a thing is this like a thing that happens in western europe that people are just like yeah i'm down to clown on ketchup on my salad because and everything else it, through me for a fucking life. yeah and it'd be one thing if he was like a you know weird like 13 year old boy who with like a stomach made of steel that's also an endless pit kind of thing but he yeah. was very much like a middle-aged man yeah so so demons so demons i feel like you've gotten way off track this time <laughs> yes now you know what my ketchup aversion from bar from my guts out to the kid um yeah so they realize that the movie is kind of happening in real life and mm-hmm. that it's suddenly like hey we got to fight for our survival so you end up with this unlikely cast of characters coming together to try and fight for survival yes and And survive uh, the night in the demon theater it's a great use of like a single location Mm -hmm. kind of thing especially with um uh the setup of there's a loud booming horror movie playing on the thing that people don't really notice the demons coming in to get to kill them until it's too late exactly yeah like some of the screams and stuff it's like oh it's just part of the movie yeah. or that's just, or they the movie's so loud that it yeah. covers it up yeah it makes good use of the setting for Absolutely. sure i don't feel like there's too much meta narrative going on beyond you know like what i do like the idea of what they see in the movie is uh being mirrored in real life mm-hmm. but not in a way where the movies come to life because i mean 
they even say, it's the movie. The movie's causing this. And they go to trash the projection room to solve the movie. <laughs> and they find out everything's automated. Yeah. And uh, there's no one operating it. So they really are in their own little, like, jigsaw trap kind of thing. <laughs> totally. Um, so the meta narrative is fairly minimal. But that's not really the draw of this movie. Mm-hmm. One thing I think really works in this movie is how great the practical effects are. Yes. The demon transformations. Especially, well, um... Yeah. When the the jig is up and everyone realizes they're in danger, we have that woman crash through the theater screen. Yep. And then we see, like, her teeth falling out of oh, her mouth and, like, so these fangs like, coming out. Incredible. Her fingernails split open so claws can pop out. And uh, then she just, like, jumps into the crowd and rips some dude's eye. Yeah, the blind dude gets his eyes ripped out. So it's, like, add insult to injury in, like, totally. a kind of crass way. But it's Italian, so there's going to be eye trauma. And it's going to be crass. Yeah. Um, I feel like the crassest moment in this entire movie is when Frank the Pimp is standing on the edge of the balcony (laughs) and a demon pops up to grab him and the actor playing the demon drools this green slime stuff, but it falls directly into (laughs) Frank's gaping mouth as he's screaming. So you just see like some like spit play going on between the And he stays so committed to the role. It's like, oh, that dude is method. Oh my God. Yes. Um. Frank the King. The big draw for me on why this movie gets so many repeat viewings is the climax of this film. Mm-hmm. Like, the gore effects and the... and The the effects in general. Yeah, are just so much fun. There's a little bit of a lull, I think, when they find the secret room, and they're like, hey, what's going on? This theater's kind of weird, and the plot just seems like it's about to go in a direction that never really materializes. Mm-hmm. But shortly thereafter, we have them fighting for survival. There's the last few people left... Mm-hmm. And it's like, thank God there's a dirt bike and samurai sword sitting in the lobby <laughs> that we've shown. It's like one of those like Chekhov's guns kind of thing where yeah. it's like, you show the motorbike and samurai sword in the first act, you'd better fucking use it. Yes. And lesser movies would have not bothered. They just had access to a dirt bike, so they threw totally. it up in the lobby. But no, this one has one of the greatest scenes ever yes. of a dirt bike driving through the seats in the aisles while slashing demons with a samurai sword. And <laughs> It's just, like, the greatest scene ever. It is a sight to behold. I I did a presentation in my second year Italian classes where we had to pick a subject Mm -hmm. to do with Italian culture and then discuss it in Italian. And so I did Italian exploitation movies, and I did a little rundown of, like, the subgenres of Italian horror. Like, I talked about early ones, like, the sort of Mondo movies that went into the cannibal movies, Mm -hmm. talked about gothic horror, giallo, and... I wanted to show a clip, so of course I decided to throw the clip from Demons when the one dude who's infected grabs a samurai sword and goes like, here, kill me with this. <laughs> so kill yourself, bro. <laughs> and then just part of that uh, heavy metal motorbike scene where you've yes. got like, that song, uh, Fast as a Shark by Except Blasting, as he's just driving through and <laughs> chopping up demons and like demons getting their hands caught in the bike chain and getting their fingers chopped off and guts <laughs> flying everywhere. Uh, it's fucking beautiful. And the other thing I love about this movie is the gang of punks that inexplicably show up partway through just to, like, add some new blood to the proceedings, where we have the single greatest moment of product placement, and it made me realize... Everyone says, like, oh, you have to be careful about showing products and logos in movies. And I did a lot of research into the laws around that, and it's kind of overblown in that you can, as long as you're not being sued too defamous, Mm -hmm. um, like, if you do a scene where someone is using a Xerox machine and then they get tumors in their bowels directly because of it, you'll probably get in trouble with the people at Xerox. I would think. But 
just having products in the wild you can actually get away with and there's no greater proof of this than in <laughs> demons where we see the punks driving around listening to white wedding by billy idol and they're passing this can of coke back and forth like you know strassing out the top they're just like oh they're enjoying a beverage together not even an adult beverage just a, a, a just having a coke pop. yeah <laughs> and then we realize after a while of this that the coke can is full of blow and they're just snorting cocaine out of it through the straw <laughs> and they just have this can of cocaine and they're snorting it while driving around downtown and it is very it. blatantly a coke can it's not just like oh it's red so it must be like it says coke yeah, right on the front it's not like it's called like cuckold cola or something like that it's <laughs> it's, it's coca cola it's very much branded yes and it's like okay if they could fucking get away with that I'm not going to worry so much about shooting a shot. And it's like, oops, there's a Diet Coke keychain on someone's keys. Oh, no. Right. We're going to get sued because fuck that. Mm. Oh, my God, this movie. (laughs) It's fun. Yeah. It's even funner than the last one. Yeah. The vibe I got off this with the movie theater almost reminded me of going to see Evil Dead, where, you know, it's like uh, they're going to this big event horror movie. Mm -hmm. And just when we were there, how, like, that theater was fucking packed. Yep. And, uh, you know, I highly doubt there there was maybe one person there that had never seen Evil Dead before, and I'm pretty sure we sat next to them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where, like, there's something about that sort of communal horror-going experience, and uh, it's sort of captured nicely in this, even though so many people in the movie are just like, they don't look like the usual contenders. Mm-hmm. They're just like balking. It's like, oh, what a stupid movie. What a disgusting movie. What a dumb premise. What yeah. a bullshit. And yeah. uh, they're kind of like, they seem kind of like hoity-toity and, <laughs> and stiff about it, except for the main gang of kids who one of them is mad because they get freaked out by horror movies, so the other ones are just like totally into it. Mm-hmm. Of course, there is that like forced heterosexuality that kind of always shows up in like you know, the whole movie theater narrative of, like, go on a date, which I always found weird, because why go on a date, especially a first date, when you can't fucking talk? Exactly. It just seems like a weird choice where it's just like, hey, we should get to know each other, so sit in silence. Yeah. Or disrupt everyone else with your loud <laughs> finger blasting in the front row. Um, <laughs> which a lot of people in these movies do. Yeah. The actual, the part of this that was the hardest suspension of disbelief was that it's an Italian movie set in Berlin... And the usherette tells them no smoking in the theater. Huh. It's like, yeah, okay, buddy. <laughs> sure. Especially in, what was it, 85? Yeah, in 85. Yeah, come on. you saw a, a movie in Berlin at an open-air theater. Yeah, in, so it was outdoors. Like, what was it, like 2017? 16? Uh, 16, yeah. Okay. Or, no, 15. No, 15. It was 2015. Okay. Wow, it's been a while. I know. Um, but yeah, you said like the, the biggest sort of trip up was that people were just smoking. All around, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it was outdoors, so it makes sense, like, but... Yeah, so you have to. Everything else was fine, but that was a little Dude, bit of no smoking. You're like, mm, disbelief. It's like, okay, buddy. Really? At a theater in Berlin in 1985. Yeah, give me a fire Filled break. with Italians. Good luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're continuing our globe trotting with uh, another fantastic movie. This time we're dipping into some Ozploitation. Oh, uh, yes. We watched Dead End Drive In from 1986. Uh, this was my second time watching this movie, and I fucking love this movie. It's so... It, it's fun. I mean, exploitation is just so yeah. fun in general. It's so high concept, too. Yes. Like, what is the deal with every exploitation movie featuring a Mad Max gang? Or several Mad Max gangs <laughs> is the case with this movie. I think that's just... That's just exploitation. It's just a genre staple. Yeah, we always think of, like, car culture in America as being yeah. synonymous. But I think car culture and Australia is even more synonymous when you look at these exploitation movies. Mm-hmm. 
at least in certain areas of the culture mm-hmm. or certain population i don't know yeah demographics like i mean i've never i've never even been to australia so i could really couldn't say <laughs> yeah I, but with this one we get so, semi post-apocalyptic it's more like a societal collapses happen mm-hmm. rather than like a big apocalypse like it's no fury road it's more in line with the first mad max mm-hmm. um but not even to that extent but it's kind of like youth gone wild sort of thing yeah. where uh it's very car-centric sort of social collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, the main character is this guy who he's always out running around trying to keep fit because he wants to be a big old car wrecker guy like his uncle. Yeah. Um, but he's always getting like shouted at and in fights with gangs that they drive around in cars. Like the car that's harassing him at the start, it has like one of those open sewer lid style porthole things on the top that it looks like the top of a fucking tank. <laughs> Like, attached to a top of a Chevy. Mm-hmm. And the guy up there is like, hey, you want to fight? And then he throws a ninja star at him. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, this right. is what we're in for. All the cars are decked out with spray paint designs and weird lights. And, mm-hmm. and the people wear costumes to match. Yep. Um, but the main character's uncle has a towing service where he goes to car crashes and competes against other towing services for claims over the wrecked cars. And this scene is absolutely great because there's three cars left over with a bunch of dead people sprawled around and he rolls up to the cops and is like, well, I'm first on scene. I'm taking all three. And it's just like, nope, nope. You got up at the same time as this guy. You got to split them up. And the other guy walks up and he's like, I'm first on scene. I'm taking all three. And they fight over who gets the cars. And they're just like about to beat the shit out of each other. And they're, and then what, like, some, like, punk car wreckers show up. Like, this gang of kids pull up, and they've got, like, mechanics tools, and they're just stripping the cars while <laughs> other ones are on watch with nunchucks and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, we've got to get these cars out of here before these street punks just, like, take the car parts from us. And so he goes to this dying guy in the car. He's like, sign here, please, for the rights to his car. His blood's pouring out of his face. <laughs> and we just get this really weird dystopic version of like car centralization kind of thing. Oh yeah. Anyway, the guy, the main kid, uh, he borrows his uncle's like really like hot rod Chevy to go on a date, and he go takes make his, it at the drive-in. Yeah, make it at the drive-in. And when he goes down the road, the drive-in is like this fucking like airbase road, like a single mm-hmm. highway in the middle of nowhere. And as soon as he goes to the gates, they shut behind him and they start sparking like they're electric. Yeah. And there's like a no entry prohibited access, like signs all over the gates. He rolls up to the drive-in and my favorite thing is the sign on the door where it's like admission, $10. Or it's like admission, adult, $10, unemployed, three fifty. dollars <laughs> <laughs> um, They roll in and soon enough, the plot is that they are trapped in this drive-in that's actually a prison for wayward youth, mm-hmm. where people come with their cars, and the cars get stripped so they're undrivable by cops that patrol the drive-in. Yeah. Like, they've got these armored cars with, like, chicken wire cages on the front of the cars, so the cops are safe from all the hooligans Like, there. pretty heavy artillery. I could think of worse fates than being stuck there, because the drive-in show a steady diet of exploitation. Like you're see, pointing out all the movies, like, oh, yeah, that's Turkey that's Shoot. That's Turkey Shoot. That's Snapshot, or also known as The Day After Halloween. Even though Halloween <laughs> does not figure into this movie even a little bit. Um, but yeah, so it's a total batshit bonkers premise. Like, mm-hmm. the drive-in has been converted to a police encampment where... You can, like, open-air prison. Yeah, people can pay their three fifty because they're unemployed to get in, but they can't leave. And... Anytime they ask about leaving, the guy that runs the drive-in is just like, you don't get it. You can't. 
And he never explains it beyond that. It's just mm-hmm. like, you just can't leave. You're not listening, son. It's like, okay, but when do I get the parts of my car? You're not listening, son. You can have some meal tickets. And it's just like this little... It's almost like Thunderdome as a prison. Mm-hmm. Um, or Bartertown, I guess, is the town that Thunderdome's in. Mm-hmm. But as a prison. And all the youth... It's like this interesting talk uh, or a concept on maybe the idea of the Gen X or lazy youth kind of thing. Like, you know, youth of the day right. in the 80s where they're just content to sit and watch the screen. Yeah. They have access to beer. They have access to food. And they play cricket a lot. <laughs> and they have access to sex and <laughs> just yeah it's what more would they want hard. yeah they're, they're just very they're very complacent they're very docile like your main guy he's what's his name again do you remember Fuck yeah i can't I, I, want, I want to call him boone and i'm like that's the wrong movie nope. nope um anyway yeah the main guy he's like determined he's like well i'm gonna you know fix my car i'm gonna get it out of here i'm gonna keep it going like he actually you know has kind of hope and mm-hmm. stuff for the future and everyone else is just kind of living in the p- present they're very easily made complacent with everything that's around them. And it's an interesting, it's not just an indictment on youth complacency. It's also mm-hmm. an indictment on the society that they're born into. Because, I would say. Because there's so much comment where it's like, don't you want to escape? Don't you want to get out of here? And everyone's story is the same. There's nothing out there for me. I was in debt. I had no job. I had no prospects. Schooling was a joke. Yeah. This, at least I have a place to live. I have food and I can live my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like my basic needs are met and... I'm having a fine time, so why would I leave this? And it's funny how that makes this movie so prescient for 2020. I was going to say, it's yeah, it really doesn't bleak, seem yeah. aged at all. And then when you were saying the whole, like, oh, you know, Gen X, youth, lazy, I'm like, you mean millennials? Yeah. Because it just gets recycled, like, from generation mm-hmm. to generation, yep. of course. Yeah. But, yeah. No, it's it's amazing that, yeah, this is still completely relevant and believable. I feel like the good social commentary manages to stay that way mm-hmm. you know like dawn of the dead is still fucking relevant yeah that was made in 78 kind this of is thing. true this is from 86 still fucking relevant mm-hmm. there's also a really interesting anti-immigration yeah. racial context to this uh, i grew up in australia for a few years and i remember one time i was on one of the trams and i couldn't have been more than nine years old. I'm on the tram, and there's this white dude just going off at, like, some racialized people kind of thing. Like, he was just being a total prick. And I remember me, precocious nine-year-old who didn't even really know the meaning of the word, thought, wow, that's racist as fuck kind of thing. Yeah. And that was so in the discourse there. Like, you had Pauline Hanson going off, <laughs> and, like, it, it blew my mind, like, a couple years ago to see her come up again. It's like, she's still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I she remember she... canceled? Like... Oh, it was just um, bizarre, and it mirrors kind of immigration discourse you hear from the right here in this country, Mm. or in the States, kind of stuff. Or in Europe. Like, it's kind of like immigration anywhere that you have, like, a white culture base that is like, uh, oh, we don't want immigrants, despite the fact that we're all immigrants, (laughs) kind Mm. of thing. Um, And that's just what we've got at play in this fucking movie, because the cops are they're keeping tallies of how many people are in the, the open-air theaters. Like, they mm-hmm. have the computer things. And it says, what, like, we've got 197 people at a capacity of 1,500 or something like that. Yeah. So they're really planning on cramming them in. Yeah. But what we get are a lot of Asian communities. I believe it's a Vietnamese communities coming in on the buses. And 
all the white people just get mad. It's like, oh, we can't have these Asians coming into our turf kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it's, um, it mirrored so much of that racist rhetoric. I remember from the mid nineties when I was in Australia mm-hmm. and you still see today in so many places. Oh, yeah. I can't speak for Australia cause I haven't been there since 98. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same as what we get here when you get the people that are on the far right or even just centrist being like, Oh, we got to watch out for those. Not in my backyard. And it's a really fucking gross thing, but it sadly isn't dated in this movie. Well, and I, I think, um, it's my understanding based on just like have, you know, reading more about like I, for example, um, I think there's a Australia, New Zealand journal of psychology or psychotherapy or something. And I remember, um, one of my, I think it might even been my multiculturalism class, but I remember getting like reading several articles from there, but um, possibly some on on yeah experiences of racism and how this right. affects um, people's psychological health, like with the all the microaggressions and mm-hmm. the overt racism and all these things. And so it's my understanding that because um, you know how like it's usually we're really shitty to sort of like the what's in like a closer proximity so for for the united states mexico yeah, is the mexico big thing is the big boogeyman. yeah so for australia being so close to asia a lot of like southeast asia right. and stuff is kind of the boogeyman and it's where canada's bordered by like another white country yeah so of course we get mad at our indigenous people we get mad at indigenous people we get mad at all the refugees who try to go up through the states and into like quebec and stuff and then, of course, you know, you also that, have the like, the, like, distant boogeyman, like the Middle East and, yeah. and North Africa and, like... But that's interesting that there is a proximity thing, because I do, like, um, in England, it was a lot of uh, Middle East stuff when I was living there as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd eat, hear slurs against Pakistani people all right. the time kind of thing. So I, I can't remember exactly who it was leveled at, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear that it's against a lot of Southeast Asia when you're yeah. in uh, Australia and New Zealand, when you do see that racism crop up. And against ind- indigenous people, of course. But yeah, there's something about, I think about like when it's the, with the proximity, then who, which groups are most, most likely to be coming in in larger yep. numbers. Then, sense, yeah. 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 But that's what we get. And uh, the white people who have hated each other and had like fights to the near death throughout the movie, uh, the bad guy, white characters show up to the main guy and are just like, we don't like each other, but we need to band together because, you know, for the white race. Yeah. And it's just like, you hear that rhetoric so fucking much yep. today with, like, white power movements and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I hate so much that this isn't dated. Yeah. Like, it should it should feel like it's a part of the dystopia as opposed to a comment on daily life. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it always pisses me off how, like, the worst people have the most class consciousness. And, like, whiteness is, like, the fakest fucking class ever. It's the most, like, subjective, Mm -hmm. fluid. It changes so much depending on the needs of whoever it's benefiting. Like, you see racism between the North and South Italy kind of thing because they're not white enough in the South or however they want to say. And they're they're poor and they're more agriculture-based and that's where mafia is and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, like, I mean, when um, when my grandparents came to Canada in the 50s, like, um, like, I remember Prime Minister Trudeau made some comment where he pissed off a lot of people where he was saying like, well, you know, um, like he basically said the same kind of thing. Like when Italians started coming here, when uh, like Greeks started coming here, like Southern Europe, Europeans kind of post-World War II, they were treated the same way that we talk about and treat like um, 
Middle Eastern refugees right, right now and stuff. Like, they're, oh, they're all criminals. They're all rapists. They're all this, that, and the other thing. Like, yeah, when my grandparents came here in the 50s, they, you know, they, they had hard times finding jobs because right. other than, like, within the Italian community. Because, oh, you all, you Italians are mafiosi. You're all, yeah, right. you're all crooks. You're all thieves. Blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't, yeah, until they, many of them assimilated culturally yeah. into whiteness that then it's like, okay, yeah, you guys count, I guess, because we need the yeah. numbers. And so and we're going to shift the scapegoat yeah. to some other boogeyman. And then now it's not really into question. It's like, oh, this is whiteness. Great. Now let's, who, who can we exclude now? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, like you said, it's the flimsiest, faultiest social grouping ever yeah. kind of thing. Like to say that there is any actual like real static s- meaning or yeah, yeah. that makes me think of um, one of the, the I, I took um, a special topic. So it was, called body politics and so I was expecting something different I was expecting more to talk about like fatness fat fo- like all sorts of different things having to do with bodies but yes. the prof ended up do- focusing very much on like ability and ableism and right, right, whatnot right. it ended up being a really great really like interesting class but um what's the AJ Withers I want to say is the Withers was definitely the last name the surname but they um one of our main texts for the class the author they talk about how um how you know these these amorphous labels like disabled or whatever mm-hmm. like the these so these groups that people get put in so like say say a group of like others yeah um when there is more benefit to the culturally dominant group to have more people labeled as others then the the definition of other is expansive so when it's beneficial to exclude a whole bunch of people, then you they, a whole bunch of people get pushed into this other category. So in this right. case, disabled. Mm-hmm. But when there's more benefit to be, or quote unquote benefit to being in the exclusive, excluded group. So for example, social security, social safety net, like benefits, things yeah. like that. Then all of a sudden the, the descriptor, like the category becomes way more narrow, way more constricted. Suddenly, oh, actually you're not disabled enough to qualify for benefits. Right. You're not disabled enough to have enough money to fucking eat. Yeah, you're super disabled until all of a sudden we have to pay you money under our social services. Yeah, then all of a sudden it's not in our interest to call you that anymore. So we're not including you in the in-group, but you're also not enough to be in the out-group. Yeah. And And so it's like the same kind of thing with whiteness. Like, it's like, okay, when it's beneficial to us to have big numbers, then, oh, of course you're white. All these people are white. But then all of a sudden when there's... Like, I don't know, it just makes me think of, because you have all these people who think that, like, oh, yes, whiteness is, just means European. So well, there will be this amazing multinational, like, solidarity. It's mm-hmm. like, no, the last time we had this, like, big nationalism thing, we had World War II. Yeah. We had World War One. Like It's um, interesting it, that you say that, because bringing it back to the movie, they're talking about how they need to preserve their 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 whiteness mm-hmm. and all that in relation to the basically the immigrants coming into their their town kind of thing yeah and interesting the immigrants are being brought in on these big flatbed trucks like they're very much prisoners yes too so you know there there's a, a dynamic there mm-hmm. but they're talking about it's like oh we need to preserve whiteness and you know the big boogeyman is they're gonna rape our women and it's always yeah. coded as our, our women that's yeah and they're all rapists because that's the most the biggest boogeyman they can conjure and that's up. the thing that fucking kills me because white men rape white women constantly and nobody gives a fuck so when i hear them say hey you're not allowed to rape our women what i hear implied is that's my right that's That's our our job job. you're not allowed to do that because there are women to rape exactly and Um, it just makes me want to fucking beyond that going off what you said about the uh inclusivity and how wide the net gets gets cast they are wanting to preserve whiteness but then they decide to hold a meeting together yeah and in doing so 
the black people we see in the movie. There's not many of them, but they're there. They're included in the white town hall because it's against the Southeast Asian other. Yes. So it's one of those things where it fits perfectly into that sort of paradigm of... uh, Whiteness is very narrowly defined, but we need numbers. Okay, so, okay, these, uh, you're you're exceptional. You're okay because you're not these people. Exactly. Yeah, and, and then of course, when it comes to all of a sudden we need to narrow it down again, the first people to get cut out are the the good ones. Yeah, of the... it's, it, you got you. You just know that that's what would happen. Yeah, there is, you'll be the um, first one thrown under the bus. Yeah. 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 Thankfully, this movie. Um, actually, it would be interesting to see how it went along with that race thing if that's how the movie climaxed Mm -hmm. and all that stuff but what we get instead for a climax is the main guy is just like this is such a toxic society i need to get out so he goes on the offensive against the cops and we get a fucking fantastic series of car chases not just one but a series of car chases through the drive-in where he's in like a tow truck he's in a cop car and like shooting yeah there's gunfights and all that and we get a fantastic climactic stunt that is just like (laughs) you know, a big car scene that only the Aussies could really do. Mm-hmm. Like, it made me think of the opening car chases of Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, OG Mad Max, when, you know, the car's just smashing through trailers and yeah. stuff like that. So this movie will really sort of scratch that itch if you uh, stick with the running time. Totally. But I, I like it because it does so many things that I like about exploitation movies while also being really smart and actually having a message. Mm-hmm. And it juggles all of these things pretty seamlessly and effortlessly. It's not like they tried to shove too many good ideas into yeah. a movie and have it end up being not so good. No, I found the pacing on this was actually really yeah, good. It was, um, it was very well constructed, very well done. There was a, it, it never slogs. And no. it, it wasn't something that I'm watching. It's like, okay, we get it. Or it's like, where did this come from? Like yeah. you said, it's very naturalistic in how the plot is portrayed. It is. So yeah, they were really clever with it, I think. Yeah. So that's definitely a high recommendation for mm-hmm. me. Um, Arrow Video put this out and as per usual, the transfer looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, can't really do wrong with their releases. So. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Of course, I guess since we're talking about that, uh, I, I mentioned Severin with Drive-In, giving it a really nice treat. Yes. And all that. Demons with Synapse. And this is probably the one that really mm-hmm. blew me away with what Synapse is doing. Yeah. And I still haven't watched it yet, but I've got There's Suspiria sitting on my shelf. I'm excited to dive into right. it. But Demons is so colorful, mm-hmm. and the restoration looks amazing. So, you know, we've got treats from all these companies Including our last one, which is another Synapse release. And this is Popcorn from 1991. You hadn't seen this before, had I you? I had not. So uh, what were your initial kind of reactions to this movie? I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. So there was something about it just with like, I don't know, with the, with the characterization, with the, you know, teens kind of up to, you know, some good, clean, fun shenanigans kind of right. thing. It just, it remind the tone, tonally, it kind of reminded me of Night of the Demons, which I also really enjoy. I totally see that. This uh, came, I want to say, three or four years after Night of the Demons. Okay. Did, so. Yeah, there's just something about the, like, the, yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it or put a, like, a name to it, but it's just, it's it's fun. I, I know you mentioned that, attitude, that you like, loved how they characterized the characters and that they actually gave the characters characters it wasn't yeah, just totally it wasn't stock. stock like person that is just there to get picked off kind of thing yeah and but on top of that they didn't show the teens being teens by the usual trope of like just being horny all just the time. sucking and fucking constantly yeah, yeah. yeah i mean there was a little bit of that there which is fine but As a treat, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally yeah but it, it wasn't just everything they weren't just it wasn't just like these are teens clearly because they want to fuck 
Yeah. It's just like, no, they are involved in their film club. They yeah, they're are united because like, of the film club. Yeah. And it's just like watching a bunch of delightful film nerds being able to, to Try and really put together, it. Yeah, and put together not just a, a film festival, but one that is specifically showing these movies that were made on some kind of gimmick to try and get audience participation stuff, whether that's like the smell of vision type yeah. thing or the seats that like react or shock you or just like all these little gimmicks that really bring out that sort of um, like 42nd street yeah. kind of audience interaction with horror cinema. I, I love that about that. Of all the movies you watch, this one probably had the biggest collapse between, um, the movie on the screen mm-hmm. and uh, the horror going on in the audience because they really evoke that William Castle gimmick thing. Mm-hmm. But the murder set pieces are worked into those gimmicks. Yes. And that was so cool seeing a slasher movie where, like, for example, because I don't want to give them all away, of course, but the first one we see involves this giant mosquito that flies out, like this model mosquito with the big proboscis thing flying mm-hmm. out of the audience. And then um, that's used to spear someone. Mm-hmm. And that's just, like, a great use of, like, let's use the movie gimmick as we interact with the audience as part of the slasher plot. Yeah, and then the audience just thinks, like, whoa, these guys are going all out. This is so yeah. fucking cool. Because at the beginning, of course, when they're inviting everyone in, they're all in these costumes. You have, like, mm-hmm. the evil nurse and the asylum patient. You have, like, just... They're very much in character. So yeah. it's set up... It's believable that this would just be another gimmick that's just making the experience that much more rich and right. enjoyable. But... So, yeah, part of the horror is us knowing, like, oh, my God, like, this is being used in this way. But the audience is just like, oh, this is so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad I came. Mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting use of that, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was... Because uh, it adds that extra layer of yeah. horror where you're like, oh, my God, they have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, it does It does that well. I feel like this one really uses film as a plot point. Mm-hmm. Um, none more so than when they are given the trunk of old uh, film things by the guy who used to do these theater showings back in the day and he's preserved everything he brings all his supplies for these screenings like for example the movie the stench they have all the odor pellets to blast the crowd and the nose clips and all that yeah um in one of the boxes is this film reel that it was made by a film cultist. Like, he had a film cult, and this was his art house film. This was his holy Bible. <laughs> yeah. Like... It was great, because while we were watching the movie, I, I saw, like, a Twitter notification come up talking about Brandon Cronenberg's newest movie, The Possessor. And that is the fucking name <laughs> of the art movie in popcorn in the, yeah. kind of thing. We're, we're just, just like, like, I am The Possessor. We're just like, what are the chances? <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved your take on the way they portray the film cult. Oh, yeah. Just, like, it was funny because, you know, cults usually aren't a very funny thing. There's a lot of really, like, horrible psychological manipulation and a lot just, like, degrading of, like, the human spirit and psyche in this way that just, like, hit strikes you in the heart and is like, oh, my God, like, this is horrible. But this had a more kind of comical take where this guy, he's this, like, you know, probably, like, king shit of film Twitter type person. (laughs) Yeah, if this was remade today, it would totally involve film Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, right? And so he has this cult following, and they all think he's hot shit until he finally shows them his movie and gets, like, laughed off the stage because it's so bad. It just, like, all of a sudden, like, the the spell is broken, and they're just like, oh, fuck this guy. Like, he's he's been bullshitting us the whole time. Yeah, like, the teacher who runs the film club uh, recognizes where the reel's from, and he mentions that, uh, what is it? lanyard something yeah. like his fucking name is lanyard <laughs> um is uh 
it's like, oh, yeah, he had this film cult. And then he's like, how do you know about it? It's like, oh, I bought in, you know, until I saw his movie and realized what a joke it was. Yeah, exactly. So just that, that, so that, I, th- I thought that was just a kind of funny take on the whole, like, you're all brainwashed until, but you still have enough sense left that yeah. when you see that he's full of shit, you're just like, wow, and it's I fell for it. an interesting way that that cult operate, because when you are on the outside, it oftentimes seems, seems so pro- obvious yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas, um, when you're brainwashed kind of thing, maybe it's so deadly serious. It is. And, and anything that goes or that threatens that the cognitive dissonance yeah. is just so strong. Not to say if you're on the outside that, uh, it's completely silly and that the stakes aren't there because sure. they absolutely are. You look at all the things yeah. that happen with cults like, like, uh, Waco, Texas and stuff right, like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so they are serious, but it's one of those things when what they're preaching seems almost out to lunch in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh that that you kind of get that divide going in here and it's pretty funny it is yeah it just goes with the whole sort of like goofy fun kind of tone of the whole movie yeah. but then the backstory of the cult they kind of go into that film meta narrative thing mm-hmm. and then the cult leader mr lanyard just mr. The, lanyard. the way what so the story is that he um so he was you know totally just like ashamed he was so mad at that what they what happened to his film oh my god is danza gonna do this (laughs) 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 that he everyone please go and see veronica before we all get killed (laughs) (laughs) that what he did was he he showed it at this at this um at this film festival and then he enacted it was missing the final scene which he enacted on stage when he murdered his fucking family yep. and you're just like holy shit this guy like wow that's excessive that is so oh god <laughs> just like this movie's so extra it just it just goes there and it commits yeah. and i'm like i love it the movie not to really get into the specifics of who done it mm-hmm. kind of thing but the end of the movie the big climax follows the idea that they're recreating that mm-hmm. and they have the live murder about to be performed on stage, but it's all done within the context of these theatrics. So it's not like that removal where it's like, I'm a film cult. Surprise, here's my family. I'm going to kill them. And it's yeah. just like that, that would be very jarring. Yes. It's just, they have so many theatrics that when they've got the victim up on stage, um, it looks like part of the show. It does. And she's screaming like, no, this is real. He's going to kill me. And everyone's like, yeah, kill her. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, I won't do it unless my audience wants me to. Who wants me to kill her kind of thing? And they're all cheering. Uh, So it's an interesting little take on the idea of film violence versus real life violence and how that gets blurred because I I don't think they would be calling for her death if they actually believed it was genuine. God, no. But at the same time... But that whole mob mentality... It's just completely collapsed It is, yeah. And just this what what is permissive or permissible versus what isn't and what, what little changes need to be put in the context to have something that, like you said, if they knew, probably wouldn't be okay... But they are, like, roaring for it. Like, yes, give it to us. We want to, like, yeah. see the blood spatter and feel it on our faces. And It's like, interesting that you mentioned mob mentality because it does give me sort of a bit of a reassessment there where I'm wondering how much of it do you think would have been through their heads as, like, reasonable doubt where it's just yeah. like, what if it, what if, just what if it is real? We can plausibly say we thought it was part of the show. Mm-hmm. So we're in. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Totally. Like, there's not enough of a divide that they can have that moral divide. It's it's mm-hmm. the real set murder set piece, in contrast to all the fake theatrics, is so close in how they're presented mm-hmm. that, you know, it's and maybe their morals follow that kind of ambiguity. Totally. Like, oh, yeah, we can acceptably cheer for this kind of thing yeah. versus, uh, oh, we have to disavow this because yeah. it's a crime taking place. Totally. 
or that it's just violence. But it's like, no, yeah. it's 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 uh, okay violence, even yeah. though it's no different. Other than it's, sim- I guess it's, it's simulated or hypothetically simulated, but it's still something. It's simulating something that's unacceptable. Yep. One thing uh, that I fucking love about this movie is the music. Mm-hmm. Because this movie, although ostensibly, I think they show like the California it art takes, school. Yeah, I say it takes place in California. California. It's filmed in Kingston, Jamaica. Hell yeah, and it is. they do a pretty good job of doing the fake uh, America kind of mm-hmm. thing. Except, inexplicably, all the kids are super into reggae. Yeah. Like, super duper into it, to the point where that's the soundtrack. Like, we got... Uh, like Saturday night at the movies, it's just got that like reggae bass yeah. going on, and that's playing during the montage. Or they have the performance out front uh, for the song "Scary Scary Movie," where it's this reggae band and like you know like a fucking twelve-piece reggae band out front by the ticket counter performing the song. Mm-hmm. And then when the power goes out, they're like, "Quick, call the band on!" And this reggae band comes running onto the stage, and they just have this fucking bop. They, yeah, they, they and do everyone's this big dancing, jam out. everyone loves it, and it's just like this- for what we assume. For an American slasher movie, it seems so out of place, but it works so well it within does. the context it's of just popcorn. Like, love it. Yeah, I absolutely love this. Like, no saying it's out of place, no shade directed. I'm no. glad they made this choice. It's yeah. another uniqueness. To it's the movie. brave. It's daring, and it works. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things where um, it's it it's just one of those things. It's mm. part of the the oddities that sticks out at you about this movie, where it's like something's not quite regular or normal about yeah. what we would expect from this But it this makes movie. it that much more endearing. Yeah, it, it's it's a positive. Like, if yes. they just had any old American crusty, like, psychedelic rock band it'd or, be forgettable or like, tell. A, like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be like, oh, they're there, but inclusion of the reggae into the soundtrack and as parts of the plot was so much Yeah, just so like embracing fun. it. It's like, I love this. It's so fresh. It's so fun. Yeah. It, and the music rules. Like, yeah. it's great. But, yeah, the other thing um, that sort of is just maybe a little a little off with this movie is the title. Popcorn. The popcorn. And yeah, you had read that the title originally it so there was something about point. popcorn that was a bigger plot point that ended up getting written out. But they liked the title so, so they, they kept, kept it. it. And we're watching this movie and we're like what that like what could popcorn have had to do with anything? Like it makes me think they either cut it out early in the process like at the mm-hmm. script stage or this movie would have been a hell of a lot longer yeah. and they did a masterful job of editing around totally. it because the extent of popcorn in the movie is there is a popcorn machine. Yeah. And they serve popcorn at the concession and that is the entire that's extent it. of it. Yeah. I mean the title works for the like you know it's a all night horror movie marathon yeah. the theater so like Some the title popcorn is fun. Not, Completely. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. It is a popcorn movie, for sure. Yeah. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. Yeah. I remember the cover of this. It's like the grinning skull holding the face mask, like almost like one of those little pantomime masks on the oh, stick yeah. in front of it. And it was just sort of an iconic video cover during the VHS days. Like, it was mm. always on... It was one of those movies that I never rented for some reason, but you'd always see it at the video store. Oh, okay. And it always had that allure, but I never got around to it, because other than seeing the cover... Never heard of this movie in my life. Yeah, I know it's what not was like about. the Friday like, the 13th where it's got that brand recognition where it's like, oh, I'm trying to get into horror. Of course, we'll get a Jason movie. Yeah, like where like six year old kids can be like, oh, I know who Jason is. Yeah. Like, I know yeah. who Popcorn I know who, is. I know, I know who Lanyard Fred. Gates is. <laughs> right? That, that was it. Yeah. Lanyard Gates. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. It's not the same. So. Okay, uh, next year for Halloween, or this year for Halloween, I guess, if a little kid comes up dressed as Lanyard Gates or whatever, it's getting the whole bowl. All my candy. It's just like, you get the rest of it, we're closed. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I would say a very fun week. Yeah, it was uh, none of it really slog. Like the sloggiest movie we had was Drive in Massacre, but at a scant seventy six minutes, and for yeah. how bonkers the plotting is, it it's not a slog to get through. It's it just pa- it's yeah. just it's, weird. It passes. It's yeah. a W. <laughs> so um, all around a good good week. Mm-hmm. But we got some recommendations, don't we? Yes, we do. So, what are you recommending this week? I am recommending 2000's Cecil B. Demented by John Waters. Another film cult movie. Yeah, another film, a, a, a film cult with, um, I hesitate to say this out loud, good guy terrorists. Yeah, I was going to say, this is less a film, this is a bit of a film cult, but it's also sort of like a film terrorism cell. And this, yeah, and this is like self-described. They're like, we are film terrorists. Yeah. And it's like, down with good taste. Dope. <laughs> So, yeah, that one, it, it's another, like, just, I mean, it's John Waters, so of course it's yeah. going to be ridiculous fun. The dialogue is absolutely fantastic. In, in true John movie. Waters fashion. Yeah. And, yeah, just the, I think anyone who appreciates film without taking it too seriously, yeah. so maybe not film Twitter, but. Yeah. <laughs> someone who's a cinema appreciator, but who also doesn't take themselves too seriously. I would, feel like I can see them appreciating cinephiles, there's a spectrum. Film, Twitter, Cecil be demented. And yeah. it's like, where do you sit on that spectrum? Yeah. Because, you know, you get lines, like, where they're making their own movie kind of thing, and in their movie, the the purveyor of the cinema comes out and is like, we didn't sell a single ticket to the, what is it, the Pasolini Festival, <laughs> and yet the mall sold out at Flintstones too, <laughs> And just stuff like that. And, uh... Oh, fuck. I love this movie. It's <laughs> possibly some of my favorite John Waters dialogue, mm-hmm. hands down. Like, it's there. It's up there. It's so fucking quotable. Totally. Well, as somebody who both loves Cecil B. Dementon and has been to a Pasolini festival and seen a movie there, mm-hmm. I uh, both are good. Both are good? <laughs> yeah. so, so this works for you. Yes, it does. Cool, cool. I love this movie, too, so. I guess good, I, good I play choice. both sides a little bit. There you go. Just like me. <laughs> Um, I'm going to recommend something that we sort of covered on the podcast. We actually used this as a jumping off point for our episode about 42nd Street. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a good movie in its own right that I think is a lot of fun. It's 42nd Street Memories, the rise and fall of America's most notorious street from mm-hmm. 2015. It's We saw it on the Pieces Blu-ray for right. Grindhouse releasing. I'm not sure if it's available anywhere else beyond that, but... Even if you bought pieces just for this documentary, they then have a copy of pieces. Which is... You win. Fantastic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> so yeah, while you're at it, watch pieces. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but this movie is a really engaging documentary. It's mm-hmm. like all just talking heads interspersed with film clips and stills. Yeah. But it's the sort of like talking head interview style. But everyone has these engaging stories about what this sort of like street of theaters and this culture meant for them in sort of the annals of exploitation cinema. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. And it was from when I um, was talking, when we were discussing popcorn about the, that sort of like 42nd style, sorry, 42nd street style audience interaction with the film. Like it was, I think it was from this documentary that hearing them describe like how engaged the audience would be and like trying, like egging on the killer on the screen and stuff. Popcorn felt like a very hygienic version. Totally. Yeah. Like the worst we get is that big biker dude punching the guy out in the, in the stand. Whereas that felt like that would be a mild occurrence on 42nd street. Probably. But it does, it totally fits in with that kind of audience interaction. Yeah. Where there's like, get her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, the cheering and the jeering and the yeah. 
Yeah. Just instead of people maybe throwing popcorn up in the air, they're peeing up in the air at 42nd Street. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, But yeah, good documentary. And uh, it's one of those ones that I also love because it open. if you're not familiar with the film's talking, you get so many recommendations. It'll yes. Just, it'll just pump up your watch list. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Sorry again about not even saying anything about the, the blank in our schedule. Whoops. But, oh, well, we're back. And, hey. um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. And it's, and it's Women in Horror Month, so it's, like, misogynistic if you don't forgive us. Yeah, jeez. Like like you said, it's like, I almost feel for Women in Horror Month, we should be just taking the month off. Yeah, I know, I'm like, that's my vacation month, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a woman in horror. Yeah, so, there you go. But no, we've already got, like, uh, the next week, next couple weeks planned, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I'm thinking we'll be back to our usual selves. Yeah, so but to speak. Until next time. Take it easy and keep it sleazy. Mm-hmm.